Key to time. I command. From this moment, there's no such thing as freedom in the entire universe. There's only my will because I possess the keys to time. Are you all right? Well, of course I'm all right. I suppose I wasn't all right. Key to time. I command. Key to time. I command. I am perfectly capable of admitting when I'm wrong. Oh. Yes. I mean, this time I was. Oh, that's what it was. Yes. Yes, that's what it was. Key to time. Key to time. Key to time. Key to time. I command. I command. I command that you stay exactly where you are. Yes, hello, and welcome to Recutting the Key to Time. I'm joined once again by Stephen Elsden, good friend of the show. Hello, Stephen. Hi, James. Nice to be back. We can't get rid of you. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a lot of fun when we've had Stephen on the show in the past, where we've got fairly fresh opinions of old stories. It's going to be slightly different this time, because these aren't completely new to you, are they? No, no. I mean, I watched these these, this season when it was first on TV. I was 10 years old at the time, and I've been watching Doctor Who probably for about five years. But I hadn't seen them since, so... uh, 35 years later coming back to them has been quite an interesting experience particularly how much of it i've remembered and how little i've remembered sometimes well, it's, it's really interesting i think when you have a memory of having an opinion about a show and mm. when you watch it again well for me anyway i i find out how unreliable my memories can be sometimes and things that i really expected to enjoy and i watched it again a lot later I've really not enjoyed at all. Tenth Planet's most recent example of that for me. Mm. I think you certainly appreciate things in the in the um, performances and in the production that you'd miss at the, you know, as a kid, basically. I'm so sorry, Ken. I'm the holidays off. Doctor. That's the new assistant. My name is Romana Varadna Lunda. I'm so sorry about that. Is there anything we can do? The president of the Supreme Council sent me. I was told to give you this. According to my instructions, it's the court of the key of time. Ah. Very exciting, isn't it? Yes, I suppose it must be for someone as young and inexperienced as you are. I may be inexperienced, but I did graduate from the academy with a triple first. I suppose you think we should be impressed by that too. Well, it's better than scraping through with 51% at the second attempt. That information is confidential. Okay, well, let's find out what you think of... The Rebus operation to start with, after not having seen it for such a long time. Season 16, 1978. The first arc plot for, for Doctor Who, probably, arguably. I but, uh, suppose so. A little debate or, going there. But or, <laughs> or maybe, then again, there was a whole story called The Ark, but I don't think True, that's quite yes. what you mean. <laughs> well, a couple with the arcs in them. <laughs> um, this, I think this is a great introduction. I mean, you've got the um, you've got several things going on here, as well as the, the arc plot of the, the, the key to time, which uh, I think as we go on with the season becomes less and less essential to the stories we've got the introduction of Romana and I think um, both Mary Tam's performance and the character Romana are just absolutely fascinating I mean she she, she almost steals the scenes from Tom and that's very difficult because Tom is at the height of his powers I think as the doctor mm, in this mm. season he's going for it with every scene I think he was probably quite difficult to control by the directors and producers at the time but yeah. uh, you know he's trying to steal every scene and uh, Mary Tam the, the, the mannerisms that she's got the way that she the way that she relates to the doctor I think just put it put a new perspective on him that we hadn't seen before and I think that's absolutely fascinating yeah I think it's quite difficult to try and come up with new dynamics every time a companion chooses to leave and I think this is one of the strong examples of where it works very very well i mean how much do you think 
the script helped with that. Robert Holmes wrote this. Yes, yeah, so th- I'm sure he, you know, he's had a lot to do in terms of the, um, the, the, the politics, if you like, behind the scenes. And uh, I've talked in previous seasons of this about sort of hard science fiction. There's actually a lot of hard social realism through these stories. And I think there's a lot of that that comes through with, uh, with the re- Rebus Operation. But there is that, that relationship between Romana and the Doctor where they're both sort of wrestling for control over each other. <laughs> um, and, of course, in this, uh, you know, the opening episode of this, you've also then got the, the White Guardian. And the Doctor's put on the back foot again because here he is faced by this... Uh, mysterious time lord that, that he's subservient to so he's almost got, he's got a companion that he's almost subservient to and and a fellow time lord that he's subservient to so so you know he really is on the back foot and i think that that's that's quite fascinating to watch and i think it's for the very first time we as the viewer see things through the doctor's eyes as opposed to having the companion act as the access point so to speak because the doctor is just as surprised as the audience yes, you know? uh, yes. who is this strange person telling yeah. him what to do doctor <laughs> you have been chosen for a vitally important task that's very flattering sir it concerns the key to time you know of the key to time well i've heard a few stories you know, legends myths that sort of thing it is no myth sorry sir The key to time is a perfect cube which maintains the equilibrium of time itself. It consists of six segments, and these segments are scattered and hidden throughout the cosmos. When they are assembled into the cube, they create a power which is too dangerous for any being to possess. Well hidden, then, I hope so. Hmm. Yes, um, I think it's a, a solid story. There's a lot of darkness to this. I'm going to talk on, on, as we talk, go through this season about uh, the influence of Blake Seven on this season, and I think maybe this season on Blake Seven because there's a lot of parallels. I think in the in the in the way that characters come to to, to sticky ends. It's not a, it's not a gothic horror, but it's quite a stark realistic terror i think that runs through this and there, there are elements of this through through this story i have to say that the one abiding memory i've got of, of the rebus operation aside from from mary tam's fantastic costumes is the um the creature and i can't remember what the creature is called that, that's mm. at the bottom of the well that that whole scene just popped back into my mind as i was watching it i thought yes i do remember watching this as a kid and being terrified about what was going to happen as i came down was the creature going to come out but um there's there's a great deal of humor there's a fantastic bit with the uh, the somerset accents that come into this which put me in mind of of course uh, you know when, when uh, Christopher Eccleston was cast as a doctor mm. about you know does mm. the doctor have a northern accent I did find it funny that they're commenting on the uh, on the accents because there's so, so many diverse accents in this uh, in this adventure that why does he think oh well that sounds like a an outsider you know I think everybody was talking from the uh, <laughs> you know the accents that they brought to the brought to the show it had a lightness of touch uh, I meant to look up and I didn't look up whether the director did any other um, who adventures George a- Spenton Foster yes he did Image of the Fendal and uh, quite coincidentally, given that you mentioned it earlier, he also did, I think, four Blake Sevens. Ah, oh, right. Okay. Well, that uh, doesn't surprise me. But uh, mm. well, Fendale's probably isn't, you know what is a slightly darker story than uh, than the Rebos operation. But uh, yeah, no, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this, and it, it, it put me in uh, in good spirits about watching the rest of the season. Garen and Unstoff were these the first overtly comedic pairing that Robert Holmes came up with? Do you think? Possibly, but actually, I really enjoyed those characters. I thought they for for they were you know, secondary characters to the story, but they had uh, you know real rich characterisation. They mm. came they came alive on the on on the screen. I think other than the uh, the chap who played the, um, the, the 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 seeker, all of the acting in this actually was 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 above was par for, mm. for for who of that time. 
Interesting, yeah. I think Garen and Unstoff certainly you could draw parallels with um, Sabalon Blitz and, uh, and, mm. and Dibber perhaps. Yes. Maybe they were a slightly poor man's version of these characters. <laughs> the Reboss operation for me is probably my favourite story in, in this season. I think it was a great start and I think it sets up the rest of the season very, very nicely. Yeah. Anyway, from large creatures in cellars whose name we can't remember uh, to comedy <laughs> pairings over to possibly one of the most memorable stories for a larger-than-life character, perhaps only beaten by Brian Blessed himself. Yeah. Moving on to the pirate <laughs> planet with Ian. Imbeciles! Fools! Thrice-blessed and incompetent idiots! What pernicious injury have you inflicted on my precious engines? Mr. February? Captain? Are you trying to scuttle this planet? No, sir. I've run a quick inspection, sir. And the uh, the actual damage isn't as bad as we... Do not trifle with me, Mr. February. What happened? Well, as far as we can tell, sir, some freak local disturbance, probably electromagnetic. What? It passed very quickly. Idle prattlings, Mr. February. I will know the truth. What the telescope readings... There, Mr. Fibier, there's your local electromagnetic disturbance. What do you make of those readings? That's extraordinary. See, for ten seconds, the entire fabric of the space-time continuum was ripped apart. So, moving swiftly on, we are indeed looking at the pirate planet. I have very strong memories of this story because for the longest time I was terrified and had nightmares of the robot parrot, (laughs) which the the, the captain uses to, to kill his victims. And I had a bit of a suspicion that when I went back to watch it again as the first time as an adult, it wouldn't quite live up to my memories. But it was terrifying as a child. Yes, I, I think probably the parrot is the one part that really doesn't live up to the memories. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the weakest link in the whole uh, in the whole story, I think. But uh, it's difficult to think uh, what it was like at the at the time. I mean, as I say, I was ten years old. It was nineteen seventy eight. I was listening to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy on the radio, and here was Douglas Adams' first story for for, for Doctor Who. You, you know, at the time, it probably didn't seem that astonishing that he was writing for it, you know, because there was a lot of crossover of, of writers for shows on, on different shows. I think it's, it's, it's slightly risky to look back 35 years later when Douglas Adams has such a reputation, even though he's you know, passed away nearly 15 years ago, to think, OK, what, where, where are all the touches? Where's the, where's the references to hitchhikers in here? And uh, I, th- I think if, if you try and, try and find those, I think you actually miss a, a very, very good, compelling story which has an overlay of, of Douglas Adams' humour and, uh, you know, light, light touches. But actually, there's a great story running, running beneath that as well. The Pirate Planet doesn't have a fantastic reputation in fandom. It almost has no reputation. And I kind of wonder if that's because it's one of the, the stories that didn't have a target novelization, and so many fans key off of those. Mm. And I was expecting it to be a bit pantomime and rubbish, sort of another Horns of Nymon. But as you say, there's actually a great story in here. It's, it's the, the, the concept... Past the first, the first episode's a bit confusing, but later on the concept is really good, it's well executed. There is a little bit of overacting going on just here and there with the, the, the pirate captain in particular. Who yes. <laughs> I, I don't know why Graham Crowden gets all the, the, the flack for his performance in Horns and Nymon. I think the pirate captain has him completely licked for overacting. Yes, Bruce Purchase was his name, I believe, which is uh, a very evocative uh, name of an actor if ever I've heard one. But uh, it's, it's got some great moments. There, there, there is a lot of humour in it. I mean, uh, obviously the, 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 the doctor um, leading the guards astray with, uh, with the jelly babies and managing to uh, to pull that trick off a couple of times. <laughs> and and the, 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 the rather ridiculous moment of, of 
canine flying the car, uh, <laughs> which I didn't quite understand how we actually got into the car or indeed how we get out of it when he got to the other the other end. But uh, no, I, I think it's got some nice uh, some, some nice touches to it. And there's a there's a great uh, there's a great moment halfway through this 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 uh, adventure where it takes a different turn. You know, there there is, there is this mystery and the mystery is revealed and you realise that uh, Queen Zania, you know, that that, that comes to uh, that that comes to the fore and you think, okay, there's been all this building up. You thought the pirate um, you know, the pirate captain was going to be the the feature of this, but actually he's not. He's a pawn in a, in a much bigger story. You mentioned earlier on about the influences of Blake Seven on this series. I, I think this episode in particular, and maybe it's the bits where they were filming it inside what was obviously a power station, yeah. I thought were very, very reminiscent in the look and feel to, to Blake Seven. Yes, I mean, there's great uses of, lo- of locations in this, and uh, I think you're right, and that, that gives it a, an edge of realism. And I talked uh, earlier about, I think there's a, there's a, there's a, even though we're we're talking about adventures which are set on other planets, there's actually a, a real sense that these are real places with real people with real characters. These, these aren't people acting out a play on a set or in a quarry. There's there's a, there's a real attempt here to create some 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 new universes that we've not seen before. The other vibe I got very strongly watching it was of Star Wars with the bridge reminding me very much of the Death Star with the the grey officers and the, the pirate captain has a bit of Darth Vader about him and even maybe Luke's land speeder in that Yes, in yeah, defi- definitely the land speeder, yes. <laughs> um, but uh, likewise, you could, uh, you know, I mean, the, the bridge is evocative of the bridge in uh, in Star Trek. I mean, it's a typical uh, a typical uh, science fiction bridge, isn't it? Talking about the, the influences, there's also a bit where K-9, I thought, sounded rather like Yoda when he was running down and... <laughs> <laughs> But um, but uh, you know, going back to the Blake Seven reference, there's a very bloody ending to this adventure. You know, lots of humour in it, but actually, most of the most of the cast end up dead on the floor, um, which did put me in mind of the, of course, the very end uh, uh, episode of Blake Seven, where most of the cast ended up dead on the floor. And then you've got see, these funny quirky touches at the end. The Doctor blows up the base with a with a very antique de- detonator with a push down uh, plunger. I was very pleasantly surprised with this, and I guess it comes back to that thing of your expectations going in. But uh, I don't know if I'd go as far as an overlook classic, but definitely worth a reappraisal i think yeah and i think if uh, if gareth roberts gets his way it probably will appear as a target novelization before too long so next week james will be back looking at the next story in the sequence the stones of blood are you all right well, of course i'm all right i suppose i wasn't all right Key to time, I command. Key to time, I command. I am perfectly capable of admitting when I'm wrong. Oh! Yes. I mean, this time I was. Time I was. Yes. Yes, that's what it was. Key to time. Key to time. Key to time. Key to time. I command. I command. I command. That you stay exactly where you are.